George Steward, one day the governor of Pennsylvania came to him and told George, Mr. Steward, I want you to go to such a prison and tell that man for whose execution I signed the warrant the other day that there is not a ray of hope for him. So when the day and hour comes, he must be executed. You see, his mother has been coming to me, tormenting me, and all of his friends have been running after me day and night. And they are giving the poor fellow a false hope. And that is to him, uh, uh, and, and that is a very disagreeable thing to do, Governor, answered Mr. Stewart. Well, I want you to go and tell him so that he can be settled in his mind. And so the story goes, this man, obviously, who's going to be, and he glows. <laughs> this man is supposed to be executed. And in, in that moment, his friends and his mother has been coming to him, presenting to him false hope that, oh, the governor is going to let you go free. You know, you are going to uh, not die from all the crime you've committed. So he, con he got this guy to come in, and then as he went in to meet the prisoner, Mr. Stewart began to enter the prison cell, and he seized, and the prisoner held Mr. Stewart's hand and cried in joy. He said, you are a good man. I know you have come with a pardon from the governor. But when Mr. Stewart told him the governor had sent him to say there was not a ray of hope for him, that upon the day and hour he must be executed, the man at that point completely broke down and fainted away. The thought that at such a day, at such an hour, he was going to be ushered into eternity was too much for that poor fellow. And he said, suppose I come to you tonight and tell you there is not a ray of hope. You have broken the law of pardon. And how many of us would say, I know a great deal better. You see, the truth is, just like that prisoner, many of us are in the cell of our captive bondage. And all we ever hear every day is negative news. There's no hope for you. There's nothing to look forward to. There's nothing. You read the news every day. And we, you know, we kind of had a breather for a while. And then, you know, now you're reading the news. And every day there's something not good happening. Something is happening around the world. And it's, and it's beginning to take a toll on us. Every day you, you swipe the papers. You read through the papers. And all you ever find is negative, pessimistic news with no hope. And we feel like the prisoner at times. Just like that prisoner, we feel we are trapped. We feel like there's nothing to look forward to in life. You see, being trapped this morning will limit God's potential in our lives. But the good news this morning, I will go ahead and just deliver it to you. The good news this morning is simply that we can be delivered from what is holding us captive. Jesus, in his mission statement, Luke chapter 4, verses 18 through 19, if you read this text, it reveals the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, 
to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. So here we considered the anointing of Jesus to preach the good news. We've considered He's come to heal the brokenhearted. And the Bible goes on to say to proclaim liberty to the captive. And that is what I want to talk to you about this morning. Because what religion cannot do, what some person cannot do, Jesus can do. He is able to deliver us from the cells and our, the prison that we may be in. Maybe there's the circumstances you're in right now. You feel captive. You feel like there's a bondage. You feel like there's a chain that's holding you back. Maybe there's a curse that's active in your life. A family, an inherited curse from your parents, from your grandparents. And you look at your life and you say, you know, that's just how my parents were. Can I I declare to you, Jesus came to set at liberty those who are captive. I've pastored long enough to tell you stories, people I've sat with, are going through financial difficulties. When you sit down with them and you talk to them, you find out that it is not only them who's facing what they're facing now, but when you go back in history, their parents were dealing with the same thing. Their great-grandparents were dealing with the same thing. Their great-great-grandparents were dealing. And the story goes on that there never seemed to be ever a breakthrough in their lives because somehow there could be a curse that's at work in their lives. And I declare to you, in material of whether you know or you don't know that curse, Jesus can set you free. See, there are things we don't know. Our families in the past that have committed, there are things we are not aware of. But I declare to you, we have sober-minded thinking. We are able to look at our scenario and our situation now and identify, I'm imprisoned in this area of my life. And if we acknowledge that, if we identify that this morning, God is able to help us and set us free. And so I want to talk to you this morning about liberty to the captive. And I want you to go with me to the book of Acts chapter 16 as we trail along to that scripture. I want to tell you a story about a man named Richard Anthony. See, Richard Anthony was an ordinary Hispanic Mexican-looking man. And one day, he was, he was visited by the cops and was told that he is being charged for a crime that he denied or he was in denial committing. And so Richard Anthony at that point of time, because there was no evidence to his statement, he was taken into prison and he was charged and convicted in 1999 for robbing a woman in Walmart. And so what happened is, Jones began to describe his case to the judge, said that he was actually at a birthday party where there were several people who are with him, but he was still blamed for the crime anyway because 
The one who actually committed the crime was a man who looked a lot like him. So Richard Jones spent 17 years in prison for a crime he didn't do. 17 years later, they found the actual man who committed the crime. And they charged him for the crime. They had no choice. They had to release Richard Jones. They obviously rewarded him with 1.1 million US dollars. <laughs> good to go to kind of good of a go to jail, 17 years, come out, retire. 4.1 million ringgit in the, in the account. <laughs> That's 17 years of suffering. Uh, but 1.1 million, the court ordered on Tuesday that Jones will also receive a certificate of innocence, a record of his arrest and conviction to be expunged, and the destruction of any biological samples associated with his case to be completely removed. And he was given an, uh, uh, counseling and permission to participate in the healthcare system and all of that. But just think with me, 17 years in prison for a crime he didn't commit. 17 years behind bars for something that he has constantly denied committing. And later they find the guy who actually did it. How will this guy feel? Imagine being strapped, being, you know, unable to carry on with life behind the prison. There was another man, Archie Williams. He appeared on AGT a few years ago. This man was falsely accused for rape and he stayed in prison for 37 years. False. Falsely convicted. Wrongfully convicted. And stayed in prison for 37 years. Can I tell you, beloved, as atrocious and as scary and as hideous as that sounds, I want you to know this morning that there are Christians who have been saved for 20 years who are still in prison. Bondage to something that they can never break free from. And I want to talk to you about that this morning. Acts chapter 16, verses 25 through 28. Because we serve the God who delivers. Acts 16, 25 through 28. The Bible tells us, But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Oh, Lord. There are days that the devil doesn't like what you preach. Let me see if this works now. Okay. Suddenly, in verses 26, there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. Immediately, all the doors were open and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoner had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice, saying, Do yourself no harm, for we 
are all here. And so I want you to think with, with what's happening here. Check, check, okay. Here's Paul and Silas. After a slave girl was delivered, we know the story, if you read a few verses before this, the slave girl came behind these men and she began to annoy them. In fact, her statement wasn't anything wrong because the Bible tells us in verses 17, she cried out and she said, these men are the servants of the Most High God. Now, when you listen to someone passing a statement like that, you would firstly think to yourself, what is so wrong with that statement? What is so wrong with a woman that's running behind these men and simply crying out that these men are the servants of the Most High God? But I declare to you that what Paul and Silas saw were not just the outward of what she was saying, but the spirit that she was saying these words in. Because the Bible says that as they began to cast out the demon out of her, she was delivered from the spirit of divination. She carried a spirit that somehow brought, div a, di brought a, a dividing between the people and the God who Paul and Silas were preaching about. So we find that this begins to take place where her bosses, as you read the previous verses, they were not too happy with Paul and Silas. Because right now, they've come to take whatever their earning ability had been away. So what they did was, they decided that if you casted the demon out of her, now we're not going to make any more money out of her, the place for the two of you are prison. And so they threw both Paul and Silas into prison. Now, Philippi is a Roman colony. So where this scene is taking place is it's taking place in a place called Philippi. They practice what is known as Roman idolatry. But as you see, both these men begin to enter into the prison, they came in and instead of simply remaining there, they began to do what? They prayed and they sang to God. They began to pray, they began to sing, they began to worship God in times when they were in captive and in chains. You see, this is the point we have to establish. The setup. The scene they were in were, wasn't the most uh, 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 conducive to say the least. It wasn't the best scene to be in where they would enter and sing songs to God and sing praises to God. This was a nation. This was a city that worshipped Roman idols. They were one of the worst of its own. And here you find these men, regardless of the situation, they are not conceding to them. They are not giving in to them. Instead, they are beginning to rise up and say, we are going to worship God nonetheless. See, being trapped, it's the picture of being in chains. And for some, there are chains that hold you and bind you. 
There are chains that go around your faith and your walk with God. And this was the situation with Paul and Silas as they were there in the prison. They were chained. And you see, one of the things we find with life today is the moment things get a little hard, Christians want to retreat and take the easy way out. They want to stop worshipping God. They want to take the option of saying, you know what, God, I, I've got to handle this myself. But this men, as we see in our text, begin to worship. Being in chains, they worship God. Being attached with limited movement, they worship God. With limited mobility, they worship God. And this is powerful to me because being trapped, beloved, limits our ability to move forward in life. And this can obviously involve many areas of our lives. But what does worship do? Worship symbolizes our surrender to God. Worship simply tells God, God, you know what? I cannot handle this myself. You know, when we come in to worship God, and I'll tell you something in a moment that began to really struck me powerfully this week. Uh, one of the things we must realize is the path to deliverance will always involve worship. Where you find the posture of worship, you find an environment of deliverance. Where the church enters an environment, an environment of worship, where the church comes together, this is what makes worship so powerful. It can spark, it can trigger deliverance. You see, deliverance to, to, to dominion, as Pastor Campbell says, deliverance to dominion is established through worship. Worship is not a set of songs that we sing, beloved. Worship is not those worship choruses that we come to church and lift our hands and sing. Worship is a posture. Worship is a lifestyle. Worship is an everyday affair that every day, every decision I make, every choice I make, I make it with reverence to God. I make it in order to worship and glorify God. Every decision I make, I make to honor God. That is what worship is. Worship is a lifestyle. Worship is a posture of the heart. Worship is coming to God. And so the question this morning is in, in places that you feel strapped, in places that you feel you're not seeing breakthrough, in places that you feel like nothing is moving forward, in places where you feel like the chain is holding you from advancing forward, what do you do in those places? Do you worship? There's a married couple that came to their pastor and said that they were true. They can no longer stay together. They've tried. They've tried to repair what was broken. And the pastor said, after several sessions of counseling, the pastor turned around and told them, there's nothing else I can do to help you. You know how many know there's a time where men's power gets exhausted. Nothing you can do. 
And so here's a man, turned to this couple, he says, you know, there's only one thing I can encourage you to do. I can only encourage you to come to church. And they said, is that all? He says, yes, that's all I can tell you to do. But one day, they, they took that advice and they started coming to church. They started attending services. They were in the house of God. And in the worship one day, you heard me share this story, in fact, a few months ago. In worship one day, the pastor was standing on stage and as he looked out, this couple at that point of time, as their were, the presence of God was in that place, the man took his arms and he began to place it around his wife. And he looked at the wife and he began to whisper something to her. And God began to speak to that pastor at that point of time. He says, that's what I can do. And moving forward from that worship service, they've been married till today for 50 years. See, there's something that worship can do that nothing else is able to achieve. This is why this becomes such a significant part in the story that they begin to worship in chains when the troubles of life begin to hit on them. Can I take this a step further? This is why church is so important. You know, you hear people pass the comment, oh, the presence of God is everywhere. Everywhere I go, the presence of God is. Let me tell you something. There are three ways the presence of God is revealed to us. Number one, His omnipresence. What's His omnipresence? He's everywhere, all the time. He's God. He's all-powerful. God is always there with us. He's omnipresent. In the world we're living in, God is omnipresent. Then there's the second type of presence, and that's called the inner presence, which speaks of the Holy Spirit. Right? The Bible says you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That is where the Spirit of God dwells. But you know what presence you cannot replace without being in church? The manifested presence of God. The manifested presence of God was seen in the tabernacle in the Old Testament. When they went into the tabernacle, God came down and manifested Himself to people. That manifest presence only happens in the house of God. Wherever you call the house of God, it only... That's why I wonder, with all this online service and online church, we can only do it so much. There comes a point we must come back to church. Because it is in the tabernacle that God manifested His presence. You got the omnipresence, you got the inner presence, but the manifested... Healing like this... You see, there's a term we always use, right? In the early stages when I sent you the text message and I said, we need to assemble again. You know, when you talk about a brick and you have a bunch of bricks by the roadside, that bricks that we put may be gathered there, but those bricks only are valued as individual bricks because they're only gathered. They're put all aside. They're all over the place. The bricks are gathered in one corner. But how many know when you assemble those bricks together, you can make a house. 
for God to dwell in. And that's the difference between assembly and gathering. You can gather online, but you cannot assemble online. It's different. Because you express your service to God by serving in the house of God. And this is the thing we have to establish, beloved. Worship. Worship must never be removed from the context of the assembly. We must be able to assemble. We must be able to come back. And I know there are moments when things cannot be done because somehow, because of the MCO and all of that that's going on. And there are some people who are ill, some that are aged and different things. And we will cater for those things. But as much as possible, the church must assemble. And the chains for Paul and Silas that held them in bondage was only broken as they worshipped God. So I want to talk to you then about God who prepares the way for deliverance. And God does this because the Bible tells us that He opened the prison doors. In John 8, 36, Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. The mightiest man, one man once said, the mightiest man that ever lived could not deliver himself from his sins. If a man could have saved himself, Christ would have never come into the world. See, the truth be told, we needed Jesus even before we knew it. Him whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Deliverance comes from God. And I'm going to call out a few things this morning where we need deliverance in. We are going to address a few things this morning that I believe is necessary because we can be Christians that reside as Christians but remain in bondage because we've gotten so comfortable with what God is doing. Our text reveals the prison doors were open in verses 26. Look at this. There was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. Immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chain was loosed. You see, their, their, the prison doors were open. Their chains were loosed. God in His might brought about deliverance in this text. The doors that were shut. Listen to me carefully. What Paul and Silas could not do in their human ability, God did for them. They needed a key to open that, which they didn't have. There was no way that they had access in unlocking the prison doors, but God did that. God moved in a mighty way, opening up the doors. And therefore, I say to you, beloved, listen very carefully. I'm going to take this somewhere. Deliverance is a work of God. It is not the work of man. You can, you can meditate all you want. You can uh, uh, try to talk to yourself all you want. You can try to uh, apply self-help all you want. Uh, I declare to you, deliverance is God's part. Only God can deliver you from the chains that hold you. 
there are people, even as we are speaking this morning, that are captive in their minds, tormented, worry, fear, anxiety, sleeplessness, the inability to have clarity, decisions that you are making that seems to affect the clarity of your mind. There are battles that are constantly going on in your mind. There are things that are constantly, uh, uh, you know, around your mind and they're chains. It's like as though, you know, you can never break free from it. It just wraps your mind and every time you want it. There are times I have felt that same way. There are times I have felt like, God, why can't I sit down? Can I tell you, you heard Siva make a statement a few weeks ago. Let me tell you, working on a sermon can drain the life out of you. And I thank God for people who appreciate the fact of that. Because I tell you, beloved, you know, it's one thing to write one sermon. I look at some of these pastors, they write one sermon a month because they've got four staff members. So everybody takes turn every week and he only preaches once a week. To write three sermons a week, to come with the mind of God. There are times I tell you, I'm up at four in the morning, my kids are asleep. There are times I sit there in a daze, I don't know what to write. It's like my mind is chained. Distraction. My mind is all over the place. I'm thinking about this. I'm thinking about that. I'm doing all that is going on in my... It's like my mind is shredded. It's like that story that Pastor Campbell began to share when his daughter Gail died. She fell off the cliff and she passed into eternity. He got on the plane and as he's thinking of what he should do when he gets home, he's beginning the process the devil is just attacking 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 give up die quit the ministry walk away from god you don't need to serve god you don't need to live for god and at that moment he said it's like the devil is putting my mind through a shredder chained they are torment mind battles god what am i going to do my children, their future. For some, there are situations that have imprisoned you. There are people who are bound and can never seem to get free. It's like the chain has you stuck. It's financial, relational circumstances. You know, the children of Israel left Egypt, and I'll talk to you about that in a while. They left Egypt. But as they left Egypt, the Bible says they went in circles for 40 before they ended up in the promised land. They came to a 40 years later, which is a profound connection and a narration of how some of us have lived our lives. It's like as though we're going through something in life and it just never seems to break through over and over and over and over again. But this passage narrates hope. It narrates liberty. It narrates freedom. 
from the chains and the doors that bind you. The chains hold you stuck. The doors keep you in. God can set us free. Can you imagine? God could have opened the doors but not loosened the chain. And they still couldn't have gone free. You know, for some people, it's like the door is open. And God is saying, walk by. Go, go. You, you can be delivered from this torment in your mind. And you still, every time you want to go, it's like something holds you back. Every time you want to serve God, something holds you back. Every time you want to come to church, something holds you back. Every time you come and listen to a sermon, there's distractions that go on in your mind. Chains that hold you. Can I tell you this evening, this morning, God can set you free. It takes the power of God. That's why Jesus says, I came to set the captive free. You know, God being the good father he is, he doesn't intend for his children to be bound, to be enslaved. The power of God is evident in freedom from sin that binds us. John 8, 34, the Bible says, Jesus answered them, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. You know what Jesus came to deliver us from? From the notion and the ability to say no to sin. Why do we have the power to say no to sin? Because that is the reason He came. He came to conquer death, hell and the grave. Deliverance for Paul came through shaking. Listen very carefully as I bring this home. It came through shaking. The Bible says there was an earthquake and it shook the foundations. All doors were open. An earthquake that shook the foundations, that unlocked the doors, chains that begin to loosen. I declare to you this morning, church, deliverance always involves God shaking the foundation. Do you know there are places where the enemy has footholds in our lives? There are places you can never get. You know why Christians are so disinterested in church today? Preaching don't entertain them. Worldly music entertains them. Have you wondered why? Why does the preaching not entertain or not appeal to Christians? Why? What's going on? Why does some person dressed in an indecent cloth seem to attract people more? Because it's the flesh. We, our flesh, chained. Chained. We can never get free. Why you cannot say no to your friends so you can be in the house of God? Why can't you say no to certain things so you can be in the presence of God? Why would you say no? Why would you struggle to say no to sin just so you can serve God? Because somewhere, somehow you can be safe for so long and yet be engulfed and hold back by chains that hinder you from going all out for God. It's possible. It's possible to struggle to say yes to God. 
This is why Jesus, the Bible says, He shakes the foundations. In Hebrews chapter 12, 27 to 28, look at this passage, beloved. In Hebrews 12, now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken. He's removing things as of things that are made. That the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. You see, our deliverance will never rise above what God can shake us. How much can God shake us? Deliverance is always found in the place where God has access to shake our lives. You know, when God wants to bring deliverance, do you know He begins to change things around? Things no longer. They're, 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 I was reading the news yesterday, and there are 60,000 people who have lost their jobs in the past several months. 60,000 people. And... I know it's, it's definitely not a good thing. We, we, we do not gloat and we want to help as much as we can. But my point to you is, there are times God will shake in order to break. There are things God will do to get our attention. Because when the boat is sailing so smoothly, we seem to be in a place where comfort is in its place jobs, finances, and God has no problem shaking them so that He's able to remove Satan's foothold wherever it is. We read the stories in the Bible. Beloved, this may sound harsh, this may sound tough, but let's face it, beloved, when it gets uncomfortable, people make either or choices. They either rebel refuse God or they choose to receive God's shaking. God has shaken my life many times. God has shaken circumstances in our lives. When we get too comfortable in ministry, when we get too comfortable in life, God has shaken us. God has brought seasons in our lives that have just said, oh, you think you got it all in place. You think, and this is exactly what he was doing with Paul inside. He is shaking them. Because the only way to deliverance is by shaking. For my wife and I, my wife mostly, she gets overly consumed when it comes to health, health-related matters. When she sees some kind of a mark on the child or you know some kind of a, 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 you know reaction uh, on the skin or something like that or even on her boy on herself uh, she begins to react she said what's um, what's that what's that and i can feel her she's she's worried she's consumed she's worried about what's happening but when she looks to me i said just leave it lah i've got a very different approach to it I, I, I look, but you know what, what gets me? Money. When I start looking at my account and I say, oh, we are running low. Then it starts fear. But she doesn't get fearful about that. She's like, it's okay. Now my God will provide. I'm like, you sure? <laughs> You're not worried. Huh? You're not 
my point to you is we all have different chains that bind us, that affects us, that hold us. And God says when the earthquake came, He shook. You know, there are times God will shake us. God will do certain things in our lives just so that He can... Things that will feel uncomfortable, church. Things that will seem like, God, why are you doing this to me? A relationship loss, sickness, pain, a job loss. God allows certain things to happen. I'm not saying that is going to happen. I'm not saying, but you know, the sooner we rely on God, the sooner we turn to God, the sooner we say, God, I am going to trust you in all that I'm going through, the sooner we come to that, beloved, the sooner God can set us free. Because what God sees in us is not what man sees. I told you just now about the story of the woman who had the spirit of divination. Paul and Silas didn't see just the outward. They saw what was going on on the inside. And the Bible says God doesn't see as man sees. God sees on the inside. We know the demon-possessed man in the Gadarenes. Jesus stepped out of the boat, commanded the unclean spirit to leave the man who had been bound with shackles and chains. What did Jesus do? Jesus didn't come and negotiate with the, de- with, with the demon. He didn't come and say, hey, if you let him go, I'll give you a portion of it. No, Jesus came and he casted the demon. He commanded the demon to leave that man alone. The children of Israel, when they left Egypt, the story goes that, G- that God heard their cry. When God heard their cry, beloved, God began to respond to them. The Bible says He led them through the promised land and took them to the place called Canaan. God is big into deliverance. He will change things in our lives. He will shake certain things. He will do things differently because sometimes we get so used to the norm we sometimes need to understand that God wants to introduce to us the new norm. (laughs) In our lives, we've seen that to be true. God doesn't negotiate, beloved, with the devil. He only says the word. We are free. So let me close here. Proverbs 21, 31. Bible says the horse is prepared for the day of battle, but deliverance is of the Lord. You have to prepare yourself for victory. From our text, the Bible says God opened the prison doors, loosened the chain, but Paul, Silas, and the other prisoners, I want you to catch this, remained in prison without walking out from prison. Have you wondered why Paul did that? Dude, the gate is open. The bars have been removed. You are no longer in chain. The chain has been removed. Why would you not go out of prison? Why would you stay there? Why would you remain 
as a prisoner when you have been given the doors have been opened for you to walk free you realize beloved this was so uncalled for this was so un you know unprisoned Acts 16 37 Paul said to them they have been they have beaten us openly con uncondemned Romans and have thrown us into prison and now do they put us out secretly no, indeed, let them come themselves and get us out. You know, Paul was obviously demanding for justice. You know what Paul was saying? He said, you've got to give us a clean slate. The same thing that Jones, Richard Jones was demanding for. You know, you threw me in prison for 17 years. I have not committed any crime. I have been clean. I have not done any of those wrongs that you're charging me with. And here's Paul, he's saying, you have to give me a clean slate. They abused them publicly and imprisoned him as innocent. And I declare to you this morning, there are times we feel like Paul. We feel like the devil has humiliated us. The devil has tormented us. And we feel like, you know what, my life as a Christian has been nothing but trouble. One trouble after another trouble. Every time I want to do something, it doesn't seem to go well. Can I declare to you, beloved, somewhere you've got to learn to fight the right battles because it is God who fights those battles for you. Bringing the point home here, God opened the door of deliverance before us. The question is, what is holding us back? See, this morning you can be free, right? You can walk out. You can choose to say, I'm not going to live in bondage. Listen to me. I call out certain things, not because friends are wrong or job is wrong. There are days and there are times that you, you know, you spend time with friends. It's, it's not, you know, it's not a, a mortal sin that, oh, I didn't come to church. That's not what I'm saying. Please don't take this in religious flavor. Coming to church is a relationship with God. You must have a relationship. You have to understand what Jesus says about it. It is an assembly. But I say to you this morning, I'm not talking about all of that on the outward. But I'm asking you, what holds you back? When you want to give to God, what holds you back? Does worry and fear Govern your mind? Or can I be a little more... Does stinginess kick in? We, we can be a little stingy. <laughs> it's true. Oh, why give the church so much? Why pastor need to... And we can become so calculative with God. But can I ask you this morning, what holds you? What chain... Does God need to break this morning? What torments your mind? What bothers you so much? Future? Destiny? Relationship? Marriage? You see, you can be in church, but still have a mind that is tormented. And only you and God knows 
what's really going on in there. And I'm here to tell you, when Jesus shook, the prison doors opened and the chains loosened. And I'm here to declare to you, it has been loosened. Deliverance is God's part. But dominion is for you to fight for. How do I fight for dominion? By reading the word of God every day. By praying every day. By being in fellowship. By crying out to God. Fasting. By worshipping God. You know what brings dominion? It's those things that you begin to commit to. Consecration brings dominion. You live a life that is set apart. See, Jesus opened the door. You're free to go. But you know why many people come back in chain? They come for prayer. They get delivered. They get healed. They get touched. Only to walk back out there. I, I tell people nowadays, you know, sometimes we have revivals. Pastors pray for people. And I appreciate that. But sometimes these people go back. The pain comes back. And then they say, Pastor, you prayed the last time. And so what I do is I teach people these days that you need to fight for your healing. You need to go home and it's not just a magic show that the pastor laid hands on you and prayed and boom, you got touched. No, you have to go home. You've got to wake up the next day. You've got to rebuke it still and say, I'm not letting you, Satan, have a hold on my life. When we were in Indonesia, we did exactly it. People came back. They said, but the next day, as we prayed for people, they went back home. They said the pain was gone. They came back, they rebuked it, the pain left. Because what is Jesus teaching us? Deliverance is His, but dominion is ours to fight for. You want dominion in your finances? You want dominion in your job? You want dominion in your future, in your death, in life and in destiny? I declare to you, it comes with a life that is consecrated to God. God wants to set you free. You don't have to live in that bondage. You don't have to live tormented. You don't have to battle sleeping at night. You don't have to live in the torment of worry. But how many of us, we cannot even serve God because there's a chain that the enemy is holding, pulling us back with. I'm worried. I'm scared. I can't. You've got to break it and go all in for God and give your best to Jesus. I want you to bow your heads with me.